Well, good morning again, St. Paul's. Good to see everybody. Um, I want to take a moment to thank those who made it possible for me to take a little preaching break over the last two weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, our very own Chris Crosby filled in. He continued our Untamed Jesus series by talking up about the passage where uh, Jesus told us that we might need to cut off our hands or gouge out our eyes. Um, if you missed that, uh, just in case you're wondering, uh, Chris said that Jesus did not mean that literally, but he was telling us that we need to uh, do what might be very drastic measures to remove sin from our lives. Um, I really appreciated what Chris had to say. I hope that you did too. And I think that Chris deserves extra credit uh, because he had to preach under unexpectedly difficult circumstances. If you were here, you know that number one, it was freezing cold in here. And number two, the lapel mic stopped working. And neither of those things have happened in my entire 14 months here. But poor Chris, first time he preaches, both of those things happen. Um, so props to Chris for not letting those setbacks get the better of him. Yeah, let's give him, give him a round of applause. And I wish I could tell you that if you missed it, you should go online and listen to it. But because the lapel mic wasn't working, we don't actually have audio of it. So, but I'm sure that if you wanted to know more, you could ask Chris and he would be happy to tell you. So ask and you shall receive. And then last week, uh, Bob McCoy from the Groton Bible Chapel was here. And he continued our series by speaking on a really tough parable, uh, the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke 16. I, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on that parable before. So I really appreciated uh, being able to listen to him uh, on podcast this week. And I liked his interpretation that the parable is all about using our resources to bless others and to uh, increase God's reputation in the world as being graceful and forgiving. So big thank you to both uh, Chris and Bob. So this week, we are continuing our Untamed Jesus series. Uh, this is our sixth week where we're looking at places in the Gospels where Jesus says or does things that are weird, harsh, or out of character. And this week, we're looking at an incident in the life of Jesus that I think is probably the one that is most likely to come to our minds when we hear that phrase, Untamed Jesus. Uh, it's an incident that is actually recorded in all four of the Gospels, and it's known as the cleansing of the temple. Uh, now, I just want to warn you that if you are not familiar with this incident, it may be kind of jarring when you hear about it for the first time. Uh, if you have an image of Jesus in your mind as someone who is always very mild and relaxed, uh, someone who moved like he was floating on a cloud and who always looked at people with a, a gentle smile and sparkly eyes and the, the wind gently blowing his hair, uh, then this story is going to surprise you. Uh, but that's okay, because I promise you that the real Jesus is much more interesting and compelling and exciting than that image of Jesus. And there's a lot more for us to learn from the real Jesus. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, starting in verse 13. John 2, starting in verse 13. So here's what it says. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, 
and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So there you have it. This is the quintessential example of the untamed Jesus. He's angry, he's using a whip, he's flipping tables, and he's driving people and animals away. Now, I don't know how you feel about incorporating this portrait, uh, this scene, into your conception of Jesus. Some of us might think, I think it's actually really cool that Jesus did something like that. Uh, some of us also may like the idea that this passage may be giving us permission to do something like this. We may be thinking, you know what, I think I'd like to do this at work, actually. <laughs> Maybe sometime this week. Now, on the other hand, others of us may be uncomfortable with this image of Jesus. Because we might have trouble reconciling it with the Jesus who is willing to be crucified out of love for his enemies. For the, the Jesus who, as he's being crucified, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or maybe we're a little uncomfortable with this portrait of Jesus because we're afraid that it could be used to justify violence or abuse or temper tantrums, right? Well, whatever you might be feeling, I want to encourage you to pay close attention this morning because I think this passage has really valuable things to teach us about an emotion that we are all very familiar with, anger. And specifically, it has really valuable things to teach us about the value of anger, the appropriate expression of anger, and what's worth getting angry about. If you're taking notes, uh, you'll notice on the page there's three numbers, and those correspond to those three things. I'm going to talk about all three of those things. So let's start with the value of anger. I think it's safe to say that if Jesus, God in the flesh, the only person to ever live a sinless life, and the perfect, the perfect uh, representation of the being of God, if Jesus got angry, then at least in some cases, it is appropriate and healthy for us to get angry. Uh, now, the key phrase there is in some cases. Uh, a lot of the time, our anger is over the wrong things, and when it is, it's not healthy. But Jesus reminds us here that there are times when anger is the appropriate response to a situation. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, he says, In your anger, do not sin. And what I want us to notice there is that the way that he says that implies that it is possible to be angry and not sin. Right? Now, there's always the possibility that when you're anger, angry, it's going to lead you to sin. In fact, I would say when you're angry, the likelihood that you are going to sin actually increases. 
Uh, but anger in itself is not always a sin. Otherwise, this statement from Paul wouldn't make any sense. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that not getting angry is in some cases a sin. I mean, if we don't get angry about things like injustice, abuse, uh, human trafficking, racism, corruption, greed, exploitation, something's wrong. Because our calling is to love God and to love our neighbors. And if we truly love God and love our neighbors, then those things in that list, they're going to get us worked up. They're going to get us angry. Love and anger are actually very much related uh, emotions. If, if you're a parent and someone tries to hurt your child, you are going to get angry. You should get angry. Right? And if, if you don't get angry, I, I'm going to assume that you probably don't really love your kid very much. So we're called to be people who love. And if we're called to be people who love, then we are also called to be people who, in some cases, get angry. And in, in this incident here, we see Jesus demonstrating this. Something Jesus values, something that he loves, is being devalued. And so he gets angry. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But we have to be really careful about how we express anger. As, as I said, this, this incident teaches us something about the appropriate expression of anger. In other words, it gives us in, some insight into what it looks like to express anger in a healthy way. Now, that might seem odd to you, uh, because on first reading, it sounds like Jesus had a Hulk moment here. Uh, any Avengers fans know what I'm talking about? The Hulk is usually mild-mannered Bruce Banner, but when he gets angry, he turns into this enormous green muscular man who has this uncontrollable rage. He can't be reasoned with. He's just crazy. And when we read this story in the Gospels, I think we have a tendency to see it as Jesus having one, a, a Hulk moment in the sense that he just explodes with this uncontrollable rage. But I think if we look at the story a little more closely, it becomes clear that Jesus' anger is not a Hulk-like rage. Uh, instead, I want to argue that his anger is deliberate, it's controlled, and it's thoughtful. Uh, none of which are adjectives that you would use to describe the Hulk. Deliberate, controlled, and thoughtful. So here's why. Okay, when I say that Jesus was deliberate, uh, what I mean is that his action was not impulsive. Uh, it was a very purposeful decision. And, and one of the reasons I say that is because verse 15 tells us that uh, when he witnessed what he saw in the temple courts, he responded by making a whip out of cords. Now, I'm not sure how long it takes to make a whip out of cords, but I'm sure it takes more time than it would to just take a whip of cords or find a whip of cords. I imagine Jesus had to sit down for a moment and gather some materials and, you know, make a whip of cords. Uh, and when the Hulk gets angry, he doesn't sit down and make anything. Okay? Um, so Jesus was not acting completely on emotional impulse here. Um, I'm sure there was emotion in what he was doing, but there was a, a span of time between his initial response and his action that was long enough for him to make this whip of cords. And I would assume that would be enough time for him to uh, make a decision that was deliberate and purposeful. We also see evidence that Jesus was controlled 
in his expression of anger. He was doing something dramatic, but he was careful in how he did it. You might be wondering, okay, how do we see that? Well, what I want us to notice is that he handles the sheep and the cattle differently than he does the doves. Uh, it says that he drove the sheep and the cattle out of the temple area. Um, but he doesn't do anything to the doves directly, right? Instead of driving the doves out or going over to the cages and opening them up and shooing the doves out, he talks directly to the owners of the doves. And he says, get these out of here. And that might seem like a very small, insignificant detail, but I think it's significant because if Jesus is driving away cattle and sheep with a whip, what's going to happen is that livestock's going to move away, and then the owners of that livestock are going to go after them, right? But if you go over to cages filled with doves and you throw the doves out of the cages, there's a good chance that the owners are never going to be able to get those doves back, right? And I think what we see here is Jesus wanted to make a dramatic point, but he didn't want to go so far as to actually destroy people's property or make them lose it. Um, he was actually being very controlled and intentional in this dramatic display. He had boundaries to what he was doing. So his anger was controlled. And on a related note, I want us to notice that this text does not tell us that Jesus was actually physically violent towards any person. Uh, we might be inclined to assume that he was because he was using a whip and flipping tables. But we should notice it does not actually say explicitly that he struck any person with that whip. I was looking for pictures that I could put up behind me while I was preaching. And all of the pictures, all the artwork I found, always said Jesus like with the whip up like this and people like cowering and falling down. And so I decided not to use them because I thought, I don't know if this really captures it. I'm not sure. Um, and I really don't think we should assume that Jesus was striking people because the Jesus that we meet throughout the Gospels never endorses physically harming people. Never. Uh, he, he never harms people himself, and he never encourages his disciples to harm people. And when his disciples suggest harming people, he's always like, no, 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 that's not how we do things. And that's very significant because uh, the people were expecting that the Messiah would be uh, a warrior that he'd be a leader in warfare. But instead, Jesus said that his kingdom was not going to be built on the sword. Uh, the Jesus that we meet in the Gospels doesn't harm people physically. He actually heals people physically. So I get the sense that Jesus was using the whip primarily the way that a cattle herder would or a sheep herder would. And I think the, the people then followed the animals where Jesus led them out of the temple courts. Um, Jesus, I'm sure, frightened the people a bit. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but I don't think that he seriously harmed anybody. Uh, that would just be out of sync with the character that we see throughout the rest of the Gospels. We need to remember that this same Jesus who's flipping tables and using a whip is the same Jesus who also said, turn the other cheek. Um, so, Jesus' expression of anger was controlled. It was deliberate, and it was controlled. And then, lastly, it was thoughtful. And what I mean by that is that it was very strategic. Uh, when we study this moment, we realize that it would have had a profound uh, significance to the people who witnessed it. Uh, there's a reason that Jesus chooses this moment in this place to express anger in this way. 
So one thing that he's trying to do is he's trying to uh, show that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And we can see that this actually works on the, on the disciples. In verse 17, it tells us, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. There was something about what Jesus was doing that triggered in the disciples' minds an Old Testament scripture. So they saw this profound significance in what Jesus was doing. They saw it as symbolic of something deeper than just Jesus flipping tables and getting angry. Um, so we need to recognize that what Jesus is doing would have spoke in a powerful way to the people of his time. The people of Jesus' day believed that the Messiah would cleanse the temple, that he would purify it. And I don't know if they were expecting that this is what it would look like, the Messiah with a whip and driving uh, the money changers away. Um, but they did expect that he would purify the temple. And so when Jesus does this, he is communicating that he is the Messiah and he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And there's also a very rich and deep symbolism in what Jesus is doing here. Because by flipping the tables and driving people out, Jesus is saying in a very dramatic way that this whole temple system of sacrifices is about to be obsolete. Right? He's saying that this whole way of operating is no longer necessary. And that's why in verse 19, Jesus refers to himself as the temple. Did you notice that? That he calls himself the temple? He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So by calling himself the temple, Jesus is implying that the old temple is no longer necessary. He's saying that I am the true temple. The true temp temple, Jesus himself, has arrived. So Jesus is both the true temple and he's also the true sacrifice. And so when Jesus flips the tables, what we need to see is the new temple coming into the old temple, and he's overturning it. The new temple is saying, I'm here, and the old temple is no longer necessary. The old temple was intended to point towards the true temple, and now the true temple has arrived. So, again, Jesus is deliberate, he's controlled, and he's thoughtful, and he's in his expression of anger. And that's a great model for us, because there is no value in just flying into an uncontrollable rage. It doesn't do anybody any good. But sometimes, there is a place for an expression of anger, and even a dramatic expression of anger. If that expression of anger is going to get across an idea in a powerful way, and if it's deliberate, controlled, and thoughtful. And I do want to point out also that doing things like flipping tables and using whips that was not standard for Jesus' ministry, right? This is really the only event like this that we can look to in his, in his ministry. And so I think we need to follow that example. You know, any kind of dramatic expression of anger for us also should be a really rare thing. Okay, well, we still haven't talked about what I think is the most interesting thing here, which is what was Jesus so upset about? Why was he so angry? I said this passage teaches us something about what's worth getting angry about. So let's talk about that. It says in verse 16, Jesus says, Get those out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? So what really bothers Jesus is that the temple 
a place that is supposed to be reserved for prayer and worship has been turned into a place for making money. It's been turned into a market. You might be wondering, okay, in what sense has it been turned into a market? Well, let me give a little bit of context here. I think this is really interesting. Back in those days, the temple was the center of Jewish worship. And part of the worship at the temple uh, involved bringing an animal sacrifice. Now, not, not everyone was able to bring their own animal for sacrifice, uh, especially people who were traveling a long distance. You might have noticed that at the beginning of this passage, it said it was the Passover time. And during Passover time, many, many people would come from very far away to come and worship at the temple. And it was hard to bring an animal all that way. So people would show up and they would need an animal for a sacrifice, so they would need to buy one. Now, if you were going to buy an animal at the temple, you needed to have Jewish currency in order to get one. That was the only currency that you could use. And most people coming from far away did not have Jewish currency, so they had to go to the money changers in order to exchange their currency for Jewish currency. Now, as we see in our passage, uh, Jesus gets really upset at the people selling animals oops, uh, and the money changers. And the reason for this is probably not so much because they were selling animals and exchanging money, but because they were charging unreasonably high amounts to do it. What was probably going on, okay, is people were showing up up at the temple with only their foreign currency, many people coming from really far away, and they need this Jewish currency. Uh, If you've ever traveled internationally, you know what this is like, right? You can't use your American dollars if you're in Italy. And if you take physical American dollars with you and expect to use those dollars, that's a bad move because the only way you're going to be able to use those physical American dollars is if you take them to a place to get exchanged. And because the people there know that those American dollars are no good to you in Italy or wherever you are, um, they're going to take a fee out of, uh, out of that money as they exchange it. I, I think last time I traveled, when I went to Italy, it was something like 25% on every dollar. That, that I lost the value of if I wanted to exchange physical money, which I never did because I thought that's a bad move. That's, that's a lot of money to pay so that I can pay money. <clears throat> um, now, it's very likely that the same thing was going on in the temple. The money changers were taking 25, maybe 50% of the value of the currency that they were exchanging. Because, hey, what are the people going to do? Right? They need the Jewish currency. So imagine you're a traveler, you've come from very far away to the temple to worship, you need the Jewish currency, so you exchange your money, and you lose 50% of it in the process. Uh, 50% gone so that you can pay to pay your money. And now imagine that you need an animal for sacrifice, and you go to buy one, but it's way more than you would ever expect, way more than market price. What are you going to do? You need one, right? So... You still shell out whatever you can in order to worship at the temple. But I've heard that things are actually even worse than just this. Uh, I've heard, and I can't confirm this for sure, I trust the source that I heard it from, but it's hard for me to confirm it. Um, I've heard that what would sometimes happen is people would bring their own animals in order to avoid the financial hit. But what would happen is they'd present these animals to the priests, and the priests would look at them, and they'd find some minor defect or flaw, and they would say, oh, this animal is no good. 
you're going to have to go buy an animal from the merchants. So now the person is in a position where they've come all this way, they brought an animal, but the animal's no good, right? So now they got to go exchange their currency for the Jewish currency, and then they have to pay way more than they would have ever expected. They're going to lose a ton of money. And what was going on is that the priests were in cahoots with the merchants. So the priests had arranged it, so they said, well, we'll reject any of the animals that people bring us, and you, you, you merchants give us a cut of what you make off the animals. It was this terribly corrupt system. And the system made Jesus angry. Flipping tables angry. So, given Jesus' example here, given how he responds, what do we learn about what's worth getting angry about? We have a list of three things. Uh, it's worth getting angry when the church is corrupt. It's worth getting angry when church leaders care more about making money than about worshiping God. And it's worth getting angry when the church makes it difficult for people to worship. So if you see any of those three things going on in the church, you have a right to be upset. You should be upset. Now, there's a point that I want to make as we're finishing here that I think is very important. I want us to notice that Jesus never had a moment like this outside the temple. Okay, he never goes to a Gentile city and flips tables. Right? Jesus' strongest expressions of anger, uh, his strongest rebukes throughout the Gospels, they're directed toward religious leaders. And I think that's important for us to recognize because I think there has been a tendency for Christians to use this incident as a justification for getting angry at people out in the world when they sin. Um, there's a tendency to use it as a justification for expressing anger toward people out in the world when they do things like, say, take God's name in vain, or behave in sexually immoral ways, uh, or mock Christian values. But what Jesus does here doesn't really justify getting angry uh, and acting angrily toward people out there. Uh, Jesus is zealous for the purity of the temple. But he doesn't expect that same level of purity out in the world. Now, the only place that we see him do anything like this is in the temple. And what I think we need to learn from Jesus' example is that we're supposed to be zealous for the moral purity of the church. And if we see corruption in the church, yes, we should get angry. But it's a mistake to carry that same level of zealousness out into the world, that flipping tables level of anger out into the world. Um, yes, we should be doing what we can in the power of the Holy Spirit to make the world a better place. But we shouldn't expect people out there to be following our moral standards. And we shouldn't be filled with this table-flipping rage when they don't. 
And unfortunately, I think what happens sometimes is that we, we Christians can be very angry and critical of people out there, but uncritical of ourselves. And uh, it really should be the reverse if we're following Jesus' example. Uh, so let's remember, Jesus flipped tables in the temple, not at some Gentile city. And finally, and I think this is encouraging, I want us to remember that Jesus' anger here is a demonstration of how much he values people being able to come to God without being taken advantage of and without having any obstacles put in their way. It's a demonstration of how much he desires relationship with his people and how much he wants nothing to stand in the way of that. He wants it so much that when someone stands in the way of it, he flips the table. And that's good news. That's the attitude that God has towards anything that would get between us and worshiping him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that when you came to earth as a man, that you did get angry. I think it would be very hard for us to relate to you if you didn't. And I thank you that you showed us uh, what's worth getting angry about. And you, you showed us uh, something of what it looks like to express anger in a deliberate and controlled and thoughtful way. And God, I thank you that you are a God that gets angry when people try to set up barriers between us and you. I thank you, Lord, that you are zealous for the purity of your church. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, we would be people who, who recognize that that is the way you, that you are and who come to you freely um, without allowing any barriers to get in the way. God, I pray that if there are any things that are getting in the way of us uh, worshiping you wholly and freely, that you would flip those tables in our lives. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.